Hello, everyone. It's Eves checking in here to let you know that you're going to be hearing two different events in history in this episode. They're both good, if I do say so myself. On with the show. Hi, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that uncovers a little bit more about history every day. The day was May 11th, 868. A copy of the Diamond Sutra, one of the Buddhist teachings, was published on seven pages of paper pasted together to create a scroll. Today, the text is considered the oldest surviving, complete, dated, and printed book. The Diamond Sutra contains teachings on the Buddhist principles of non-abiding and non-attachment, and it's a key scripture in Mahayana Buddhism. The text also provides meditations on illusion and perception. The copy of the Diamond Sutra that was published on May 11, 868, is not the earliest example of block printing, but it is the oldest book to include a colophon that has a verifiable date. A colophon is an inscription at the end of a book or manuscript that provides details of the work's publication. The Diamond Sutra was first translated from Sanskrit to Chinese around 400 CE. In 8th century China, printing was done with wood blocks. Paper was made from mulberry or hemp, then it was dyed yellow with bark from the amber cork tree. The text was painted onto tracing paper, which was put onto a wooden block. A carver then followed the traced text to carve the shapes into the block. Then the block was inked and stamped onto the paper. In 845, Taoist Emperor Wu Zong of the Tang Dynasty suppressed Buddhism as China denounced foreign influences and old Confucian and Taoist ideas re-emerged. Temples and monasteries were shut down and adherents were banned from practicing. The ban was rolled back not long after it was instituted, but Buddhism did not thrive as it had before. A monk named Wang Yuanlu originally discovered Wang Ji's Diamond Sutra in Dunhuang, China in 1900. He was in a place now known as the Caves of a Thousand Buddhas, a cliff wall with hundreds of caves carved out of it. He found the entrance to a secret library that had been sealed, where there were tens of thousands of documents. It's not completely clear who and why the documents were placed in the library cave, nor is it known why and when the cave was sealed shut. But in 1907, British-Hungarian archaeologist Mark R.L. Stein was mapping the Silk Road when he found out about the library. After some negotiation, Stein bribed Wang into selling about 10,000 documents and painted scrolls for 130 pounds by invoking Wang's patron saint, Xuan Zhang, a Buddhist monk and scholar who had taken a pilgrimage to India in the 7th century and was a translator of Buddhist scriptures. One of the documents Stein acquired was the Diamond Sutra. The scroll is about 16 feet or 5 meters long and 10 and a half inches or about 27 centimeters wide. It's made up of seven pieces of yellow stained paper pasted together with an elaborate illustration on the first paper that shows the Buddha speaking to a disciple. An inscription on the scroll says the following in translation. Reverently made for universal free distribution by Wang Ji on behalf of his parents on the 15th of the fourth moon of the ninth year of Shenlong. That would work out to be May 11th, 868. It's not clear who Wang Ji was or why he had the Diamond Sutra printed, 
but it's likely that monks used the scroll to chant the sutra and that printing copies of the sutra allowed for wider dissemination of the Buddha's teachings. Today, the scroll is located at the British Library. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And here's an additional note on really old books. Books have been dated back to the BCE years, like the manuscript Bulgaria's National Museum of History holds, which is more than 2,500 years old. But what should be considered a book is up for debate. Scrolls and clay tablets exist that are thousands of years old as well. Also, the International Don Huang Project is a collaboration that has digitized archaeological materials from Don Huang and other sites on the Eastern Silk Road. Keep up with us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at TDIHC Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. Hello, everyone. I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a podcast that brings you a new slice of history every day. The day was May 11th, 1895. Composer William Grant Still was born in Woodville, Mississippi. He wrote more than 150 compositions, and he was the first Black American conductor of a major orchestra. Still is often referred to as the Dean of African American Composers. When Still was a teenager, he began studying the violin. His stepfather, Charles Shepperson, encouraged his love of music by taking him to recitals and introducing him to opera on Red Seal Records. After graduating from high school in 1911, Still enrolled at Wilberforce University in Ohio. He learned to play multiple instruments, including the cello and oboe. His musical talent flourished in college, where he conducted the university band, composed music, and formed a string quartet. But Still left the school before graduating. He was interested in pursuing a career as a classical composer. He studied composition at Oberlin Conservatory of Music and at the New England Conservatory of Music in Boston under George Whitefield Chadwick. And he began working as a freelance performer and arranger. In 1915, Still married Grace Bundy, and they eventually had four children together, though they divorced in 1939. Still served in the Navy during World War I, but beyond that, he dove headfirst into music. He worked as an arranger for composer and musician W.C. Handy. He played oboe in the musical Shuffle Along, which had a successful run on Broadway and featured people like Josephine Baker, Florence Mills, and Paul Robeson. He took a job with Harry Pace's Pace Phonograph Company, doing arrangements for artists who recorded on the Black Swan label. In 1931, the Rochester Philharmonic Orchestra performed Still's Afro-American Symphony. It was the first time a major orchestra performed a symphony composed by a Black American, and it's Still's best-known composition. He said the following about the symphony. I knew I wanted to write a symphony. I knew that it had to be an American work, and I wanted to demonstrate how the blues, so often considered a lowly expression, could be elevated to the highest musical level. The symphony featured elements of spirituals, blues, jazz, and call and response. It was also the first symphony to use a banjo. 
Many of Still's works incorporated Black American forms like the blues, spirituals, and jazz. By the time Afro-American Symphony premiered, Still had been to Los Angeles and composed more than 100 songs for the band leader and orchestral director, Paul Whiteman. He moved to Los Angeles permanently in 1934. Throughout the 1930s, he arranged music for films like Pennies from Heaven and Lost Horizon, and he continued to collect firsts in his musical career. He became the first Black American to conduct a major symphony orchestra in the United States when he led the Los Angeles Philharmonic in 1936. And he was the first to have an opera performed on national television when his opera, A Bayou Legend, finished in 1941, premiered on PBS in 1981. Right after still divorced Grace Bundy, he married Verna Arvey in Mexico, where interracial marriage was legal. Arvey was a pianist and writer who wrote the libretti for many of his operas. Over the course of his career, Still composed nearly 200 symphonies, ballets, operas, chamber music pieces, and works for solo instruments. He collaborated with Zora Neale Hurston, Catherine Garrison Chapin, and Langston Hughes. And his compositions were influenced by people like Paul Lawrence Dunbar and W.E.B. Du Bois. Still died in Los Angeles in 1978. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can send them to us via email at thisday at iheartmedia.com. You can also follow us on social media at TDIHC Podcast. Thanks again for listening to the show, and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.